Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and I am so glad that you are able to join us here today. I am uh, thrilled you're with us. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about taking control of your brain health. And uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Crystal Culler, who is the founder of the Virtual Brain Health Center. But before I introduce her, I always like to give a couple of shout-outs. And for those listeners who are new, let them know what Alzheimer's Speaks Radio is about. Bottom line, I created it because my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years. Yep, you heard me right, 30 years. And I so believe in raising all voices, big and small, those diagnosed, those that care and serve them, advocates, researchers, and more. And today our show is live, and so you can actually call in and talk to us if you'd like. And that number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Now, I always like to give a couple of shout-outs. So I want to um, let you know about a project by Rice University called Project Care, and they are looking for volunteers who are currently family dementia caregivers uh, for a real important research study on emotions. And you can contact them by emailing them at emotions and care. Oh, I take that back. It's called the study is called Emotions and Caregivers Health. Um, But you can contact them. Um, by uh, going to care during COVID at rice.edu, care during COVID at rice.edu, um, or you can call them at 832 819 4297. That's 832 819 4297. Nine seven, and uh, again, that's called Project Care. It's always nice to get people involved with um, with these different trials and studies that are going on. I also want to give a shout out to Coro Health. That's C O R O Health. They're still allowing people to download two of their apps, um, Music First and Coro Face Free, during the pandemic, and you can just go to CoroHealth.com. And right at the top there, it'll talk about uh, downloading their free apps during COVID. Also want to give a shout out to Arthur's uh, Senior Living, who sponsors Arthur's Memory Care. And anyone is um, welcome to join us. We're still doing that virtually on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month at 1 o'clock. 
You can reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer's Speaks, and I can get you information on that. Or you can go to the Memory Cafe directory, and there you will find um, both virtual and some are starting to start up in person again. So just go to memorycafedirectory.com for more information. And then, of course, um, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention Dementia Map, our global resource directory uh, that we just launched. It's growing every day. There's wonderful information on there, not only in in a resource directory format, but also as a glossary. And there's a calendar of events. And we're always looking for more people to join that effort to make it a little bit easier. So, Again, um, you can go to DementiaMap.com or reach out to me, um, again, at uh, radio at AlzheimerSpeaks.com, and I'd be more than glad to get you more information there. Let's go ahead and hear from the Foot Bar Walker, and uh, we'll come right back, and we'll get to our conversation with Dr. Culler. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Footbar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the foot bar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot Bar Walker. Well, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have this conversation with Dr. Crystal L. Culler. She is the founder of the Virtual Brain Health Center, and she is a doctor of behavioral health, a social uh, gerontologist, and a senior Atlantic fellow for Equity in Brain Health with the Global Brain Health Institute of Trinity College in Dublin. And that is where she completed her residency in training on dementia and prevention, as well as social determinants um, of brain health. So welcome, Dr. Culler. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me this afternoon and to be a part of your growing community. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. I think we can't talk about brain health enough. But before I go into my questions for you, I always like to ask every guest if they have been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. Yes, I have. And for me, brain health has been broad. It's been a part of my personal journey, but also when I was in graduate school, my grandmother was diagnosed with dementia, and I was very close with her growing up. Um, She played a very salient role in providing care for me and my sister when my father passed away when we were very young, and so spent lots of time with my grandmother, and so studying gerontology while I was in school 
and then transitioning over into dementia and memory care in the brain health space, and then having that be part of her later years of her life. It was very personable, but it was also a nice way to be able to use what I was learning to connect with her in a different way. And also seeing my family go through some of those care issues, but recognizing since I was the granddaughter, it was a different dynamic to have that relationship with her. And even the last conversation I had with her before she passed away, being able to have those memories and connect and just let her know she was the great grandmother with the best Easter egg hunts and I had the memory of spending the most time with her, so my sister and I knew where she hid the eggs that Easter right before she passed. And having the skills to know how to connect and make sure that last visit she had with us and our family um, was one of joy with her and how she was able to connect in her late stage of dementia. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, One of the things I think we should probably start out with is what the heck is brain health? We're hearing a lot about it. Um, is something people didn't talk about. Uh, the the healthcare community really didn't even talk about. I mean, I gone in and get my physical every year, and um, you know, rarely am I asked about my brain health. So, why don't we talk about what it is? And I think there's various definitions out there too, and why there's such a growing interest in this topic. Yes, I appreciate your question and. Really, the way you framed it hits on some two key components, and one is understanding what it is, and there is no universal definition of brain health, and it's one that we've used very loosely um, across the U.S., and most of our definitions, we look at a way of what we are asking our brain to do in terms of performance, function, or mental action, so typically some type of higher organ order cognitive task, meaning we want our brain to do multiple steps. We want it to think, sequence for us, perform these higher tasks that at the end of the brain day, it makes our brain hurts a little bit or it's been challenged, so to speak. And about in 2015, our administration on community living did do a national brain awareness campaign, and they defined brain health as the ability for us to remember, learn, plan, concentrate, and maintain a clear and active mind. So if you think to what are the processes involved of the task we're asking our brain to do, that's how they laid out their definition through that national multi-million dollar campaign. But like you said, if we were to take a step back and broadly think about what brain health is, I like to frame it for people. It's thinking, feeling, doing, and how to optimize our brains to thrive at any age. And it's just like you said, the way we are really pushing our policy right now and the call out for us is when we go into the doctor, that it's part of that narrative and conversation where we're asking about our brain health, how our performance is doing in terms of our thinking or our memory, because there is a lot that happens between brain health memory performance and dementia, but their way we have talked about it before is we kind of have muddled it all over together. And brain health is really for everybody, even though living with some type of memory impairment, neurodegenerative disease, chronic health conditions, and acute health conditions. It's part of that conversation, and it should happen with our health care providers and for people of all ages. 
And that's really where we're lending to is that becomes part of our normal health and checkup with all of our physicians. Mm -hmm. I, I like your definition of thinking, feeling, and doing. You know, it was, it's just very simple. It's something that you can remember, short and sweet, um, versus the, the longer one that was done in the study because there's so many different variables. And I, I think if it's not short and sweet, we just don't remember it. We don't repeat it. And this is a conversation that that is worthy of repeating and making sure that it's understandable and clear. And I, I also like the, the, the feeling part, because I think so often that that is left out. We talk about the thinking and we think it, we talk about the ability to do, but we don't talk about the emotional piece that is tied to all of that, which can make or break us in, you know, in anything we do throughout life um, in terms of, of feeling good about something or uh, feeling sad or not worthy or, I mean, uh, angry. Uh, there's so many different emotions that, that come into play with thinking and doing, um, that ability to to feel you're able or not able um, is, is very, very critical. So thank you um, for those definitions. I think that that is, that is very helpful. Um, do you see this conversation being had more in the physician's office? I know they're talking about brain health checks, you know, for people of a certain age. Um, I'm not so sure that that is happening everywhere, um, but I also think that it's a broader conversation than just as we age and get up in years. What are your thoughts? It is something that we are really pushing to raise awareness about. One of the things I learned through my international fellowship was observing how this occurred at least in the memory care clinics over in, in Dublin. And it was part of, although it was delivered with a diagnosis when people were receiving some type of memory-related diagnosis, but realizing how lifestyle, and just like you said, the emotional component, the social component, the physical aspect of that, um, really our whole being, our wellness, was all addressed as part of that diagnosis. and. That was something that really resonated with me and seeing how that was done in their clinics to be able to come home. And I really believe that with the field and everything that we're seeing coming out in our reports here in the U.S. is pushing forward to that. And just like you stated earlier, bringing that down the lifespan. So it's not just a later life aging issue. It's for everyone because what we know is anyone with neurodegenerative diseases, the changes in the brain and what we are seeing is happening, you know, 15, 20 years earlier. So if we were to take someone with even early onset Alzheimer's disease and we push that, this is for people in their 30s or 40s when changes are starting to occur. And, you uh -huh. know, our brain is still developing on the earlier end until our early 20s. And so uh -huh. really it's part of the conversation for all of us. Um. Wonderful. I, I think that that is fantastic. Let me ask you this question here um, in terms of brain health and um, why it matters and and also talking about research. I know you touched on it a little bit in our first question, but I wondered if we can dive a little bit deeper on that. Oh, sure. For many of us, it's 
breaking down some of the myths of aging that we've heard and from neuroscience or the aging field and really beginning to understand more of what we know about the brain. And there's three more key concepts that we've heard in different ways, but just to basically understand that our brain has the ability to generate new cells, which is neurogenesis, and that happens lifelong. Our brain has the ability to adapt and change, which is neuroplasticity. And these two concepts come into the aging conversation because for a long time, we held the belief that this was reserved for people who were younger, especially children. And we recognize that this does happen lifelong, and it can still happen for people with neurodegenerative disorders in different areas of the brain. And depending through certain lifestyle habits that people have, it can still happen um, through different activities that people spend their time, such as meditation. When you practice certain types of meditation, you can generate new neurons in the brain in the hippocampus, the area of our brain strongly associated with memory, even for people with early to moderate stages of dementia. And so seeing that we constantly have the ability to adapt, sculpt, and mold our brains, the physical diagnosis, and that's through our lifestyle and the way of which we live. And that lends itself to the notion of what we talk about is cognitive reserve, which is our brain's ability to protect against the development or damage that may happen to our brain. And when we think about that, it happens across our lifespan, but it's really how do we delay disease? And cognitive reserve helps us build that buffer or system, and that happens all across our ages, and that's through all the things that we do from lifelong learning to how we spend our free time to the way we eat, the environments that we're in, and that just kind of helps us build up that brain reserve. And what we see that happens to when it comes to certain types of diseases or things that happen to the brain, it buys us a little extra time, sometimes up to seven years from the research, of when we may show symptoms of the disease. And we found that out from numerous studies of when we scanned people's brains, we saw actual pathology for diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia, but they were asymptomatic in their day-to-day -day lives. And that was the notion of cognitive reserve. And what's the most exciting about coming online is there's various reports that come out every year, couple of years from the Lancet Commission on the different lifestyle factors that contribute to this life course journey that we're talking about. And really, we can see about 40% of global dementia cases can be prevented or delayed by targeting some specific lifestyle factors, early life to middle life to later in life. And there's some different ones that come online each time. And the more recent ones have been hearing loss and social isolation, monitoring our alcohol consumption, protecting our heads from head injury and air pollution. And it's an exciting part of that conversation to have and know that many of these things are modifiable for our lifestyle. And that's about 40% of our risk. And we keep learning more and more each couple years when these reports come out. So I think it's an exciting part of the field to recognize that some of these factors are within our control and we have the ability to make some choices for what we can do to optimize our own health and well-being, especially the health of our brains throughout our lifetime. Well, interesting. Um, I wanted to um, ask you a couple of things. One, 
Some people, I think, Intel, they're in, you know, kind of in the trenches with this. Not everybody understands what asymptomatic means. So if you can just define that for us, and then I want to have you give us some examples of some of the things that maybe we can prevent and how we can do that, um, either prevent or delay. Oh, yeah, thank you. It, what that means is when I'm saying that is if you were living with a disease. So when I mentioned the brain scans is on the scans, there's technically maybe the plaques and tangles that you would see of the hallmark symptoms for Alzheimer's disease and dementia on the scans alone. But in your day-to-day life, you aren't showing the symptoms of that type of disease. So meaning the, the top 10 signs that you, you would hear or raise awareness about of the memory loss that would be associated, the deficits that may occur with with language or communication. And so when it's asymptomatic, it means you're not necessarily showing symptoms for that specific disease. Really where I think the clinical piece comes into how we are diagnosing where it's the image tells a story as well as the person's symptoms tell a story as well as the person carers and the families bring in that that different perspective for it all comes together for how we are diagnosing people living with neurodegenerative diseases as well as many other types of diseases. It's always excluding other things to to come together. And what we know about brain health risk really is the way I like to kind of help people think about it is if we were to focus in on your brain, your body, and your environment. And so for your brain, you want to do what you can to protect yourself. And so as much education as early in life, maintain cognitive engagement. So constantly trying things that are new, novel, and challenging for yourself. So it's very individualized, as you could tell. But ramp up that stimulation for you, keeping engaged. Protect your brain or your head from any injuries or trauma. We talk about this when we're younger, but we have to remember to keep this front of mind even as we age. Keep enough sleep. It's a myth of aging that you need less sleep as you age. Still aim for seven to nine hours of sleep per night. And if you're not getting optimal sleep, talk with the healthcare provider to see how to make sure that you are getting proper amounts of rest. This is great for your brain, your memory, as well as your body. Monitor any type of hearing loss. Protect your ears from noise exposure and use hearing aids when appropriate. Think about monitoring your mood and make mental health a priority. And reach out to a healthcare provider if you're experiencing any symptoms of low mood. And the next one is one I like to mention because it takes you from the brain to the body is stress. Relax the mind and avoid chronic stressors. And so think about how stress is a whole mind, body, emotional response that occurs and make sure to really monitor your stress. And when it gets to your body, you watch your heart health, your blood pressure, maintaining a healthy weight, your diabetes, smoking and alcohol to limit or to not smoke. We know that smoking is Um, not good for us, and to make sure you maintain physically active, which gets us to the the bottom of the body. So 
once you're in your body, you check your environment. And you want to just the newer ones that have really come online for environment is to reduce exposure to air pollution, of reduce exposure to secondhand smoke. And how important is this? And I, I know from what you have advocated for as well as for your listeners to maintain social connections because the opposite of is when you're socially isolated, it can be as equivalent um, for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And we know that's not good because we know about the not smoking from there. So if you think about those three components, how to focus on your brain, your body, and your environment, hopefully one of those is maybe one area that can help move you forward on your personal brain health and wellness journey for someone that you support and love and care about in your network. Wonderful. Those are great, great tips. I think, um, you know, the isolation, I think, has been uh, elevated due to COVID, people understanding that, but still not understanding how to engage, how to avoid that, how to how to make people not feel isolated um, <clears throat> during COVID and, and just in life in general. Um, but I think everybody got a taste of, of what it feels like to feel isolated. And I think sometimes we forget that there are people that live like this every single day of their life. And, you know, we've got to do better as, as a society um, and as individual communities to, to reach out to people. Um, what have you thought about, you know, the virtual connections people are making versus being able to be physically connected these days? Um, do you see that as being beneficial? I think it's been a different type of shift and one where at least it allows us to connect. And from what I observed early in the pandemic was at least changing our language and messaging with how we were talking about staying socially connected because the the notion of telling individuals to stay physically distant uh, was really what we were trying to do rather than saying stay socially distant. We wanted mm-hmm. people to maintain six feet apart for safety of what we were knowing about the virus coming online. We weren't wanting people to disengage from those social connections. So recognizing that the language was so important for what we were recommending people to do for their health and well-being and noticing quickly how many places and experts and leading organizations quickly changed that language to say, physically distant, find ways to maintain those social connections because socialization not only keeps our brain healthy, it helps boost our overall health, it helps there's ways to nurture our relationships, and it just is looking different during this time. And like you said, the virtual component has come in, but I've heard so many pleasantly surprising stories of people being able to adapt to the technology and how that has uplifted their spirits and opened new doors and really actually has strengthened connections with more distant family members or friends. And much like you said earlier, to your point of people being more intentional with reaching out to those who could be more vulnerable or ones that were just kind of flying under the radar before. And what a beautiful thing that has been during this time of taking, you know, a gift of time to reach out to others, but also realizing that will be something that's going to carry forward. 
now that those relationships have been nurtured and are more saline in their lives. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you talked about the the words that we use, physical distance versus social distance, because that really was a a huge, huge piece. One of the things that um, made me smile when we first got into COVID, and and there sure weren't very many things to smile about, um, and haven't been <laughs> over this past year when you when you think of COVID and how it's changed us. But people living with dementia have been utilizing Zoom and video conferencing for years and years to connect. And you know, one of the things that they saw is um, they saw others being as frustrated as they once were, but utilizing video conferencing um, alleviated that and made them feel very connected. And, you know, all, all that I've talked to around the world have pretty much said, these are real relationships. I know people poo-pooed them before, um, but I think they're finally starting to get it. And they're, they're feeling that sense, like you said, of accomplishment that they can maybe connect when they didn't think that they were technically um, savvy enough to be able to do that and to see them light up and say, oh, I can do my book club or my Bible study or I can get together with my grandkids and seeing how all of these things can really um, overlap into other areas of our lives and actually empower people to connect in new ways when schedules are really busy. Um, And many people, I think, are reevaluating schedules and do they really want to be that busy anymore because One of the things you had mentioned also was about stress and sleep, which I think a lot of times go hand in hand that you don't get much sleep when you're really stressed. Um, Plus it just, uh, it causes havoc with so many things um, in our mind, body, and soul uh, when we're under that chronic stress. And so I was really glad that you, you pointed those things out as well. You mentioned, you know, other neurodegenerative diseases because, you know, we primarily talk about um, Alzheimer's and, and various types of dementias here. Um, but sometimes people exclude in their definition of that, um, you know, and, and, um, and so many people have more than one thing that they're dealing with. But even like Parkinson's or MS or Lou Gehrig's disease, um, can you mention some other neurodegenerative diseases that people might not really think about, um, but they do cause havoc in the brain and how it functions? Yeah, you, you named some of the top ones that came to mind, and even some of the ones that you mentioned, like Parkinson's disease, sometimes have a related dementia, but not all the time. And people that are recovering from traumatic brain injury or have chronic headaches or migraines. And I think of many people that things that lead back to the brain, issues dealing with anxiety, depression, other mental health-related issues. And so it's very broad when I think about brain health and it being for everyone because many things that we do when we go back to just like we said, when it's thinking, feeling, and doing, all things start and stop with the brain. Mm-hmm. And so when it's very broad, letting us realize, you know, it has this whole, whether you want to say mind-body connection, mind-body-spirit, and the emotional piece as well, it's very holistic. And for many of those things that we do, we know even like you said with sleep, when you sleep well, it's helping clear out, as 
non-scientific, the gunk that's in your brain, and letting the spinal fluid come in and clean, but that's restorative for your memory and how your memory is restored from the day. And that's what allows you to then retrieve the memories out better. And so mm-hmm. when you're not sleeping well, your memory system's not functioning properly. Well, then you also know then the next day your, your mood's not as great. And then it's kind of this downward spiral effect. So when you're thinking sometimes it's very simplistic things that we do have this great impact on our brain and our overall function and how we want to, whether we have any type of brain-related issue or performance, how we want to perform, it's going to have its impact from something just as simple as how we were sleeping well the night before, of if we can retrieve that memory, how we're feeling that day. And so we can do these small things and make steps to set us up for our optimal wellness is essentially the goal, but also how that plays into our whole health and well-being picture. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, you sent me a couple of great infographs, and and let's talk about each of these. One, you know, talks about um, why is a virtual brain health center, you know, why does it exist? What does it do? Um, and why don't you, you know, go through some of these stats here and then we'll, we'll talk, you know, what is it um, in particular, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. So we've seen, as you mentioned, brain health and an interest in brain health has really been growing internationally and nationally across the U.S. And depending on different survey statistics, it's ranked as one of the top health concerns among older adults or aging adults usually right below heart health, but yet few, at least Americans, know how to help or maintain brain health, which is right how you kicked off the show is that definition of what we have and and what is it. And so it's really understanding that brain health is 90% of our lifestyle, 10% of our genetics, and letting people really understand what it is about their lifestyle, the things that we can do, translating the science into actionable steps that people can take into their daily lives to optimize their health and well-being to where it is that they are going and where they're at on their brain health and wellness journey. And so we look at it as what everyone can do to keep their own brain top of mind and how to give support for everyone to embrace a new healthy habit, even if it's just one decision each day for their own personal brain care. But it's translating that research that we've been talking about into information that everyone can understand and use brain health in their day-to-day life. Wonderful. Um, I, you know, I just, I, I thought these were, both were really um, well done infographs because uh, they were just really simple to be able to, to see. And I was, Fascinated on the the one statistic, you know, where it said um, brain health is 90% lifestyle and 10% genetics. I don't think people understand how much control we can have and the impact we can have, even though, you know, dementia doesn't have any boundaries and it's not fully controllable. um, We can do a lot of things, like you said earlier, to prevent or to delay um, it from occurring. And and I think uh, so many people think, well, it is what it is. If it's going to get me, it's going to get me. 
and um, just kind of continue on with their with their life. Um, what what do you say to somebody who has has that attitude? Is there anything you can say? No, I think for many people, it's like you said, it's understanding the knowledge of what is out there and that it's never too late to start a healthy habit. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you have some type of diagnosis or a diagnosis relating to the brain. Um, I've worked with individuals putting brain health into memory care. Um, Health and well-being is for everyone. And even making small changes like staying properly hydrated can have an impact on on how you feel and how you go throughout your day. But learning about the things that you're able to do to put those small little actions into your daily routine so you just feel better, have more pep in your step, maybe make your decisions a little more quicker, whatever it is that you were personally trying to achieve. That's what brain health is. It's individualized, getting you where you want to go on your wellness journey. And so I think for working with people that feel like it's too late, it's raising awareness and understanding and meeting where they are on their road and seeing where they're comfortable with trying to go. But recognizing, too, it's never too late. And we can see health benefits even from physical movement and just moving your body in five minutes a day and so we can start small and those small changes can have really long lasting impact on our health and well-being and so we all start somewhere and we all have room for improvement and that's really the message of what brain health is which is what gets me excited about the field is it can be so individualized and tailored for everyone that we all have room to grow and nurture our brains and bodies for our Mm -hmm. well-being Exactly. I do want to remind our audience, if you have any questions, you can call in to 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Let's talk about the other infograph um, where you have different tips um, for people in terms of engaging your brain. And we've we've talked a a little bit about this, but I think it's, it's, states uh, a few a few other things that we haven't talked about um, quite as much. Well, I appreciate you pointing us to our 10 tips to promote brain health optimization. And we really created this as just some basic guides and tools to help people realize if they take a look at it, that maybe there's one that resonates on with them where they can say, this is where I can start my brain health and wellness journey. So whether it's they can engage their brain, look at lifelong learning. I know we've talked about this. Find a way to connect with others, just one person a day. A call, mm-hmm. text, email, mail a card, grab a virtual coffee or tea. Just focus on one tangible thing a day. Move a, move daily. Whatever movement looks like to you, I like to say that broadly. Finding a way where we can naturally move our bodies in a routine that will work for us is what's going to keep us moving forward and make that successful. Eating to fuel our minds is, for many of us, a mind shift. I'm not sure many of us go out and eat a food because we know it's good for our brain. But we eat every day. 
So if we're able to make one decision that's better for our health and well-being, slant towards healthy fats, leafy greens, berries, vegetables, or a hand of tree nuts like almonds, or pick a walnut, it looks like a small brain. That's a way to start of slanting towards eating to fuel your mind. I mentioned staying properly hydrated, but it is so important for your brain. Keep in mind, by the time you're thirsty, you're already about 1% to 2% dehydrated. So stay properly hydrated with water. Resting well. Adding meditation to your routine or some type of practice where you unplug, where you're quiet, whatever restfulness may mean to you. But essentially, if you were to think of a way to cool down your brain, breathing, gratitude, something that will help you really try to think about a cool down for your brain. We talk about on the front end, a way to rev it up is to engage in lifelong learning. You want to have something that balances that out, a purposeful way to take a brain break. Monitoring your health, which was those risk factors we talked about. But for many of us, we may already manage chronic health conditions, acute health conditions. What we really mention with monitoring your health is making sure those things stay in check and managing those well will make those risks be very lower on the brain health scale and then just doing the things that we're talking about to really give your health the overall boost. And the last one I think is very important, but we probably are hearing more about this now with the time that we're living in in a pandemic, but it's to really prioritize our self-care. So to make our brain wellness a priority and not an option. So to start small, make one decision that could be better for your brain, and remember that those small changes, what we talked about today, can really lead to lasting habits. But don't make it too overwhelming. Make a smart goal in a small increment, whether it could just be drinking an eight-ounce glass of water when you take your medications in the morning or your vitamin or your meal, and then adding water at lunch as a way to stay hydrated. Make it small, make it attainable, and start building those habits to optimize your brain wellness. Wonderful. Well, those are those are all fantastic um, points for everyone to consider because, like you said, so many of them aren't big things to do, staying hydrated. You know, it's something that's real easy to forget, and I know as I'm aging, I'm going to be 62 this um this summer, I can tell the difference where when I was younger, I guess I just didn't notice it. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, what the deal is or even just feeding my body at certain times of the day where before I'd like, oh, I didn't eat all day, you know, and I'd have, I'd have something at nine o'clock at night, you know, cause I, my body was just busy and I was off and running, but, um, you know, doing things a lot, a lot different. And, um, I think listening to our bodies as well and addressing if there's issues. I mean, I know a lot of um, elders that don't like to drink because they are worried about incontinence, Um, you know, but you have to deal with both of those things um, to keep your body balanced and and to keep yourself safe because most of our body is made out of liquids anyways. And I think people don't always appreciate that, that we are really a sponge um, that we're feeding 
and that that is important. It, oh, go ahead. I would say that's such a important point is we need the water. And I only mentioned that coming up into the warmer months is to just be very careful and monitor that fluid intake. But you also highlight such an important point of it is a strategic balance. So finding a good time at night to maybe decrease that fluid intake so it's not so disruptive to your sleep cycle because that's a very real issue. Uh, but to keep in mind, as long as you can get up and go to the bathroom and if you go back to bed and within a couple of minutes, that that's a good balance for your health and well-being to make sure you're you're staying properly hydrated, but just to watch for caffeine uh, time of day and how much you're drinking late at night so you can prioritize your rest too. And with any questions, talk with a healthcare provider to find what works well for you. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about um, your virtual brain health center. If people go to your site, what can they expect to find? Oh, I thank you for that question. If you go to our site, you'll see information about who we are and what we do, which is we provide virtual classes, which is a wide variety of education around many of the different topics we have discussed today of what brain health is, how you can make brain health accessible to you and your health and well-being. And we've pulled together a variety of industry experts to make that accessible to you through physical movement-based classes, through cognitive engagement classes, and personal well-being classes three times a day. And then we look at also providing healthy brain checkups. So we do virtual memory screenings to help people understand a baseline of where they're at and some recommendations of where they may be able to go on their brain health journey. And we look to provide resources around brain health and healthy aging, memory care. I heard you earlier talking about research studies as well and resources for carers, for how they can help support their health and their well-being is all located on our resource page as well. Wonderful. When I'm here, you know, again, you've got another nice, real um, easy-to-see graphic of your, your model of your brain wellness, and you, you lay out the cognitive engagement, the personal well-being, the physical activity, and the social connections, and exactly what that means, um, you know, in terms of, of focusing on that. And I, I really, it's just nice and simple to see. So under the cognitive engagement, you've got um, learning the new contact, uh, content, uh, novel environment, the lifelong learning aspect, the brain fitness, and then the continuous challenge um, under personal well-being again, You've got the lifestyle behaviors and choices that so often I think we overlook, um, the environments that we choose to be in, the health management of ourselves and our, our diet and um, nutrition, along with the hydration. And then, you, you know, again, talked about that, that sleep and also meditation in terms of getting that rest. And um, I know you've highlighted these, um, but I just think that they're really, really important for people to, to take in. And that's why I'm just kind of going through them one more time. The, the social connectiveness, um, 
being feeling supported um, can happen in this virtual environment. Um, opportunities to engage with peers, which I think is so critical. And then, you know, feeling purposeful in those group experiences and then the physical activity, the, the natural movement um, and lifestyle, and then the actual physical exercise along with, you know, purposeful activities. So um, it, it's, your site is really easy to maneuver, um, which I, I so appreciate. I think sometimes um, things get really complicated. I know even my own website, in the pro- I'm in the process of redoing it because there's just so much information there um, and that it just gets overwhelming. But this is really nice and, and clean and succinct um, for people to, to be able to um, to find what they're looking for on there. So um, that's great. And you've got a bunch of resources listed on here, too. And if you find that Alzheimer's Speaks would be appropriate, I would love to be listed under there as well. Um, But again, it's just a very, very um, easy and comfortable way to maneuver. Are you comfortable, uh, Dr. Cohen, talking about cost of classes? Do they vary or is it a flat fee or um, can people get packages? How does all of that work? Yes, thank you. Our, our episode will go up, and I'm happy to add your resource down there, CARES. All of our classes are $5 a class for individuals to access our programs and services. And I appreciate you taking the time to share more about our model of brain wellness. We intentionally selected that model, not only from the research, but also from what we feel we're able to support for people through virtual services in the community that we are aiming to create through the individuals that come and share their gift of presence with us. And so it's been exciting to unfold and support with our experts and those giving of their time to come in and engage. And again, all of our classes are $5 per per class. And we do have a class pass option where you can get 12 classes for $50. Wow. Well, and, you know, it's it's nice because it is so reasonable for people. I think that's one of the things that people struggle with is there's so many different classes and what do you choose and what if it's not a nice fit? And this isn't a huge investment for them to be able to check that out and then still to be able to have um, the benefit of the variety, too, of which they can they can check out and see what's the best fit for them and and yet still very reasonable if they decide to go with package as well and getting the benefit of the discount um, with that. So nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you. And if people email us or fill out our contact form on the website or they can email us at info at virtualbrainhealthcenter.com. We are happy to make course recommendations to support people where they are on their personal brain wellness journey or where they're at with some interest to really help make sure we get them into a class that may best suit where they're at on their well-being or what their interests are. Or, you know, we have a list of a couple other questions we can ask. Our goal is really to support people on their wellness path and to make sure we find them a good class fit. So we work with people on an individual level to really try to find that and to do that. So we recommend the contact form on our website, or you can email us at info at virtualbrainhealthcenter.com to do that. 
Right. And then, you know, for this, um, when I was looking a little further here, um, you have all kinds of um, different um, content. You've got Brain Health is for Everyone, and you've noted adults and individuals and professionals from, uh, you know, a lot of different disciplines. Um, and, which is really nice to be able to see as well. Do you have any classes um, that are specific for people with dementia um, alone or any combined groups that, um, that would work for them? Yes, we have some classes that can vary across the wellness needs for those living with dementia or memory loss. And we have some that we will offer specifically for that type of group. And so it's been an exciting time to have instructors on board that have the background and experience working with a variety of different groups and their willingness to really tailor their knowledge or their specific class to really help us support through physical activity or the cognitive engagement piece across different groups for our center. So it's exciting to see how we can do that to support people to optimize their brain wellness. Wonderful. Anything that we missed, we have about five minutes left, and I just want to make sure that we cover everything, Dr. Collins. Um, the one thing we, I want to make sure to mention, I know we have already covered this, is our Center's Philosophy for Brain Care. And mm -hmm. we mentioned this a little bit through our chat is really pulling together all of our information. And you mentioned it earlier too, is the different groups that we work with for brain health. And from the communities, we work with various long-term care communities, senior centers, adult day centers. We help do community education pieces for um, a variety of aging care professionals, financial planners, lawyers, we've done a variety of different groups around brain health, dementia, and Alzheimer's disease, and what this can mean, as well as brain health. So really understanding that brain health is for everyone, but also our philosophy of care is brain health is not expensive. And we really want to make services from experts accessible and to make brain health really targeted for what people can do as they make the choices of what fits for them at this point in time, where they are now to support their well-being. And so we know from everything we talked about today, brain health might sound complex or that it has a lot of moving parts, but we're really trying to be the resource where you can come to to make it practical for you, those you care for, your family, or if you're a provider, um, those that you are trying to support. We want to be your one-stop shop, um, and at least in that practical piece around brain health and wellness. We know this is a growing interest as well as a concern to many aging adults, but hopefully when they can get this information in a way that's understandable, it's information they can use in their daily lives to move forward on their wellness path. And that's what we're really here to do. It's an exciting time to be a part in the field. I appreciate your time to share this with your listeners, and I hope people may want to pop in to try out a class. That would be wonderful. 
Absolutely wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really appreciated it uh, very, very much. Um, You've given us great information. And again, you can uh, go to the website, virtualbrainhealthcenter.com. That's uh, virtualbrainhealthcenter.com. And social media handles, if you're a Twitter, you can uh, look at virtual brain and then CTR for center, virtual brain CTR, or Dr. Crystal uh, Color, and then uh, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and Facebook are all under Virtual Brain Health Center as well. So, again, thank you so much for your time. This was a wonderful conversation. You gave us a lot of great detail, and I hope people uh, visit your uh, Virtual Brain Health Center. There's so much there to offer. So thank you again. Appreciate all the work you're doing. Yes, thank you so much for having us. And some of our events will also be listed on Dementia Map. And so we're excited to be part of your growing resource there. And we do one monthly free program where people can check us out as it covers our model of brain wellness and what we try to do to offer that social connections piece. It's called the Brain Changing Power of Conversation. And it's a place to bring people together to talk about emerging topics in brain health where they can come together to meet new peers. And we offer that once a month for free. And they can get the details from our website or listed on your Growing Dementia Map resource. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. You have a brilliant week. And I hope our listeners like, click, and share. You can always go to Alzheimer Speaks. To find out more about our various initiatives, or as uh, Dr. Culler said, visit DementiaMap.com. Thanks, everyone. We will talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye.